on Thursday in an apparent attempt to demonstrate that voters in the United States and Germany couldn't be the only ones to embrace reactionary unpredictability. The voters of the United Kingdom dealt the Conservative Party a stunning blow, elevating the far-left Labour Party, led by a Noam Chomskyist loon named Jeremy Corbyn, to the brink of power. The Conservatives, led by Theresa May, will still retain leadership thanks to a coalition government, but they were expected to walk away with the election and Labour was supposed to be in disarray. Instead, the Conservatives are on the verge of chaos, and Labour is united under a terrorist-supporting anti-Semite with a gut-level hatred of Western civilization. Well done, Brits. Josh Crashauer of National Journal makes an even more important point, though. The youth vote in Britain went overwhelmingly for Corbyn. Quote, Corbyn's surprisingly competitive showing was fueled by young voters who rallied behind Labour by a whopping 34-point margin, 63 to 29, according to British exit polling. For all the fears of creeping nationalism, it's the growing discontent of the millennial vote that's been a consistent theme in recent Western elections. Many young voters are rejecting capitalism entirely, attracted to rhetoric promising free tuition and a generous social safety net at a time when many are struggling to make ends meet. Numerous studies also show younger voters are much more skeptical toward the value of democracy than their elders. Crashour rightly points out that 27% of young French voters fell for an actual communist, Jean-Luc Mélenchon. In the United States, Democratic Socialist Bernie Sanders drew, quote, more than more under 30 voters than Clinton and Trump combined. Crashour is right to note that the reactionary left is responding to the reactionary right, that young voters who resonated to Corbyn, Mélenchon, and Sanders responding in part to Brexit, Le Pen, and Trump. And there's nothing new about young people embracing radical politics. The 60s and 70s were full of such elections, see George McGovern, and the 1930s were full of radical political movements worldwide supported by youngsters. Each generation has its own brand of radicalism. And given the success of the post-world, post-Cold War neoliberal consensus, the rebellion was bound to come in the form of far-left redistributionism. Clinton and Bush and Blair and Chirac were all of the same general mind on capitalism. Young people have reacted to that background. Commentators are trying to find economic rationales for the blowback, but there is something else going on. We live at a unique time in human history. War between major powers is almost inconceivable, and despite economic worries, the vast majority of people are employed. The American unemployment rate is currently 4.7%, the Brits 4.8%, the French unemployment rate is 9.6%, where it's been hovering since the economic crash of 2008. Yes, terrorism is a threat, as is multiculturalism, but the far left isn't pledging to do anything about any of those things. No. What we have here is an entire generation of Westerners brought up to believe that prosperity and freedom are the norm and given a background noise, and that the next mission for which they should fight is redistributionism. Income inequality is the next Rubicon to cross, and income inequality springs from the same origins as racism and sexism and bigotry, Western civilization. This perspective is not coming from disillusionment. It's springing from an existential meaninglessness taught by two generations of parents who abandoned traditional values in favor of secularism and are now surprised to find their secular kids and grandkids embracing transformative Marxism as a way to animate their lives. People want meaning. Economics does not provide meaning, but causes do. Bernie appears to have a cause. So does Corbyn. So did Mélenchon. As economists, as economists Daniel Jurgen and Joseph Stanislaw said way back in 1998, when it appeared the global capitalist consensus was unshakable, quote, a system that takes the pursuit of self-interest and profit as its guiding light does not necessarily satisfy the yearning in the human soul for belief and some higher meaning beyond materialism. Few people would die with the words free markets on their lips. The West has failed to teach its children meaning. The children found their own meaning in Marxism, and so we appear ready to re-embrace the horrors of the past unless we get to work right now teaching young Westerners that they are part of a fight 
for liberty and freedom and responsibility rather than for transformative, crushing redistributionism. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Alrighty, we are going to get into everything Comey-related. We're also going to talk more about the UK election, which really is quite stunning for Theresa May, the worst political miscalculation in the modern era. She called snap elections, and then she ended up almost being thrown out of office, which is just an amazing thing. We also have the mailbag today. Yay. So if you want to be part of the live mailbag, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com right now and subscribe. We'll dedicate some real time to the mailbag today. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Birch Gold. So right now, we're living in times of uncertainty. I mean, if that British election showed you nothing else, it showed that the global markets are contingent on some sort of steadiness in the West. And that steadiness is not exactly there right now. There's a lot of unpredictability. Plus, our enemies are on the move. China's on the move. Russia's on the move. The markets themselves could be overvalued. There, I saw a report today that said that the, the, the investor, famous investor came out and said that he was expecting an economic crash any time now. This is just one reason why you should hedge some of your bets with gold. You should have some gold in your portfolio. You should have some precious metals in your portfolio right now over the last five months. The fact is that the that gold prices have increased every month for the first five months of 2017. In 2017, gold is up 13% thus far. That is a reflection of consumer anxiety, of investor anxiety about the markets, and I don't think that that anxiety is totally misplaced. Right now, you can get some precious metal and you can switch your your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver by calling my friends at Birch Gold Group. They have a long-standing track record of continued success. They have thousands of satisfied clients. Five-star reviews, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Right now, contact Birch Gold for a free information kit on physical precious metals. They have a comprehensive 16-page kit revealing how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move, again, that IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA. With this much uncertainty, you should certainly have some investment in precious metals. I do. Birchgold.com slash Ben. That's birchgold.com slash Ben. Use that slash Ben so that they know that we sent you. And uh, not only will you get that 16-page free comprehensive kit and make sure you ask all your questions, but they'll also know that, they, that we sent you and uh, they'll be more likely to advertise with us in the future. And we can continue bringing the show to you free of charge as, as you listen. Okay, so... Lots happening in the news, obviously. Lots of fallout from the James Comey hearing. So after having a chance to reflect, there are a bunch of headlines that come out of the James Comey hearing. And I want to play, I think, the three key clips. We have a little mashup here of the key clips from the Comey hearing. First of all, here are the headlines from the clips we're about to show you. First of all, Comey said openly that President Trump and his staff did not ask, did not ask for killing of the Russia investigation. This destroys the Democrat narrative. Remember, as I said yesterday, the entire Democrat narrative since Hillary lost the election was that Hillary lost because Donald Trump worked with Vladimir Putin to corrupt the election. And in doing so, he then had to fire James Comey because Comey was this close to finding out about it. That was their narrative. That was completely debunked. Comey said that yesterday. Also, in other big news, Attorney General Loretta Lynch apparently attempted to influence the Clinton investigation while Comey was there. That was a big piece of breaking news as well. And then the piece of news that the left is jumping on, which is that Comey called Trump a liar several times in the in the uh, in the hearings yesterday. And the final piece of big news is that Comey leaked his memos to prompt the naming of a special counsel. So people on the right are jumping on this to suggest that this means that Comey is a leaker and that Comey is going to be prosecuted for leaking. We'll talk about all of these things, but here are the, the key clips from the, from the hearing yesterday. Did any individual working for this administration, including the Justice Department, ask you to stop the Russian investigation? No. 
at one point the Attorney General had directed me not to call it an investigation, but instead to call it a matter, which confused me and concerned me. And although the law required no reason at all to fire an FBI director, the administration then chose to defame me and more importantly the FBI by saying that the organization was in disarray, that it was poorly led, that the workforce had lost confidence in its leader. Those were lies, plain and simple. I asked a friend of mine to share the content of the memo with a reporter. Didn't do it myself for a variety of reasons, but I asked him to because I thought that might prompt the appointment of a special counsel. Okay, so here were the big headlines, and there's a lot of conflict over what the headlines should be. I mean, just to show you how much conflict there was over what the headlines should be, this is a, a picture of CNN and Fox News covering the exact same hearing and having precisely opposite headlines. Here it is, the conflicting chirons. You can see CNN saying that, Trump's, that, that Comey took Trump's request about dropping the Flynn investigation as a directive. And then on the right, you see Fox News saying, Comey, the president did not order me to let the Flynn probe go. So it... You know, again, everyone's sort of taking out of this what they want to hear. I'm going to give you the big headlines as I saw them yesterday, and then we're going to go through what the reaction to all this has been. So as I said, first headline, Comey basically blows out of the water the Democratic narrative that there was collusion between Trump and Russia in this election cycle, and that Trump fired Comey to cover this up. Even Chris Matthews is acknowledging this now. Here's Chris Matthews acknowledging as much. But the big story to me has always been, as all of us, and I think Nicole really touched on it there, the assumption of the critics of the president, of his pursuers, you might say, is that somewhere along the line in the last year, the president had something to do with colluding with the Russians, something to do with the helping hand, encouraging them, feeding their desire to affect the election in some way. Some role they played, some conversation he had with Michael Flynn or Paul Manafort or somewhere. And yet what came apart this morning was that theory, because in two, two regards, the president said, according to the written testimony of Mr. Comey, go ahead and get anybody's satellites in my operation and nail them. I'm with you on that. So that would mean Man Manafort, Carter Page, someone else like that. And then he also came across to what was fascinating. Comey said that basically Flynn wasn't central to the Russian investigation, that he was touching on it, that there was, of course, Flynn had an honest, we assume wasn't honest in his answering of the official forms that he had to fill out to become, uh, become national security head. But it only touched on that, that it wasn't really related to that, but he could be flipped for that. But in other words, they could flip him because they had him caught on something he dishonestly answered. But he wasn't central, it seemed, to the Russian thing. And I've always assumed what Trump was afraid of, he had said something to Flynn, and Flynn could be flipped on that, and he, Flynn would testify against the president that he had had some conversation with Flynn in terms of dealing with the Russians affirmatively. And if that's not the case, where's the there there? If it isn't okay, Matthews, is, I mean, what, what Matthews is saying right there, what Matthews is saying right there is the key, and that's the thing that Trump should be seizing on because that debunks the entire leftist narrative. And when even Chris Matthews, I may see Gomez out of that show, getting in the morning, very disappointed, James Comey can't believe it all fell apart. When even Chris Matthews gets it, that demonstrates that the Democratic narrative fell apart. So that was headline number one. Headline number two was that Loretta Lynch pressured James Comey to change the way they were terming the investigation into Hillary Clinton, calling it, instead of an investigation, calling it a matter. Okay, now that had already been revealed by the New York Times way back in April. People really didn't pay attention to it at the time. Comey said it now, so now it's in the testimony, and people on the right are jumping on that. Yes, that's terrible. 
And yes, Comey should have done something about it. He should have gone public with it, or he should have written a memo to file as he is so fond of doing. And all of that is true. It is also true, to be fair, that if we are going to say that we are disturbed by Loretta Lynch putting pressure on James Comey in how he discusses the Hillary investigation, then we should be similarly concerned if President Trump is putting pressure on Comey in any way with regard to any other investigation. Like, let's be a little bit consistent here in all of this. Okay, third headline, President Trump apparently acted improperly and Comey found it troubling. So we can't get away from, and this is what the left is jumping on. They've now pivoted from their original narrative to the new narrative, which is that Trump is a bully and a thug because Trump said to Comey, pulled him aside in a meeting, told everybody else to get out of the room, and then told him he hoped that Comey could find a way to let Flynn go. Now, people on the right are sort of ignoring this or pretending it doesn't exist or saying, well, it's not obstruction. No one's saying it has to be technical obstruction. As Alan Dershowitz has said, Trump could overtly tell James Comey that he wanted him to drop the investigation and that he would, and he's ordering him to do so, and that wouldn't necessarily constitute obstruction of justice on a criminal level. But impeachment is not a criminal offense. Impeachment is about what is politically palatable to do. Democrats could jump on this, and they are. The biggest problem for Trump is that now, because he said all this stuff, now you could end up with a situation where Trump actually is under investigation. So we found out that Trump is not under investigation. We found out that he wasn't under investigation when Comey was the head of the FBI and that Comey told him that several times. And that's probably why Trump fired him is because Comey wouldn't say it publicly. But now, because of the conversations that he had with Comey, he may very well be under federal investigation from Bob Mueller, the special investigators. That means that Comey, if he wanted to nail Trump, has played his cards exactly rightly, which means that Comey is kind of a sleaze. But it also means that Comey has outplayed Trump here. Right. Here's how the chain of events went. Basically, Comey was called into Trump's office and Trump said to him, I'd appreciate it if you could get rid of this Flynn thing, right? I hope that you get rid of this Flynn thing, however you want to put it. And then Comey didn't pay attention to Trump, continued on his merry way, didn't see anything so wrong, he had to report it. And then he gets fired. And then Trump tweets that there must be conversations between Trump and Comey that are on tape and Comey better hope there aren't, at which point Comey responds by revealing the presence of the memos, which prompts the creation of the special investigator. And now that special investigator is going to look into Trump over obstruction. So in other words, Trump did two things that now have put him on the hook where he wouldn't have been on the hook before. One, he had conversations with Comey about Flynn that he shouldn't have had. And two, he then tweeted about how he had tapes, which, were, which prompted, supposedly, Comey to reveal the memos and leaked the memos out which prompted the appointment of the special prosecutor. Now, some people on the right are saying, well, that means we should get rid of the special prosecutor. A little bit late for that, okay, guys? Regardless of whether you think that Comey did the wrong thing in revealing the contents of the memos in order to, in order to debunk what Trump was saying about him, the, the cat's out of the bag. You shut down the special prosecutor right now, it looks like Trump really does have something to hide. So Trump's in a catch-22 because now the special prosecutor, according to Comey, will probably end up looking at Trump's activity toward Comey and may come up with some sort of obstruction charge, or at least the implication of obstruction, giving Democrats something to hang their hat on. In other words, the quote unquote cover up of a crime that didn't occur may snag Trump because Trump has a big mouth. That's what Democrats are hoping anyway. That's, that's what Democrats are hoping. Now, I want to talk about how Trump can get out of this and what Trump actually should be saying about all of this, because I think that he has a pretty good case to make if he were just honest about it, but he's not making that case, unfortunately. We'll talk about it in one second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. So every day you see stories about somebody breaking to somebody's house, somebody breaking to somebody's store, robberies, carjackings, riots. There's been an uptick in the last couple of years in, in 
murder in major cities all over the United States. And you want to sleep a little bit better at night because you know that if you have to defend yourself, there's going to be somebody standing next to you. Then you need to go over to the USCCA at defendmyfamily.com, defendmyfamily.com, and sign up with the USCCA. What the USCCA does is they give responsible gun owners like you and like me complete peace of mind. They give you training in how to use your weapon, but they also provide you the defense resources necessary in case you do use your weapon. I live in California. That means if I shoot a bad guy coming onto my onto my property, then there is at least a significant chance that I will be prosecuted or I'll end up in legal peril. USCCA helps you out with that. USCCA makes sure you're legally and financially protected for after you pull the trigger. And they help get more guns into the hands of responsible Americans right now in honor of July 4th. They're doing the great American giveaway. They want my listeners to know about it. If you win right now, you'll receive $1,776, $1,776 for the guns and ammo of your choice, like 1776, you'll get $1,776 for the guns and ammo of your choice. And they are picking five winners. You can register right now at defendmyfamily.com, defendmyfamily.com to get your five big chances to win. The offer does not last forever. This is designed for July 4th. So go over to defendmyfamily.com. Number one, you should be signing up anyway. And number two, you can register to win one of the five $1,776 prizes just by signing up. So super cool stuff. DefendMyFamily.com, USCCA doing wonderful work on behalf of gun owners across the United States. Okay, so with all the headlines that came out about Comey and with the newfound attempt by the left to push the notion that Trump obstructed justice, even though, as Chris Matthews says, there is no real there there, there's something that Trump could do, right? What Trump should do, here's what Trump should do. I, I basically wrote this out yesterday. If I were Trump, here's what I would say. I would say this. I did not collude with Russia during the 2016 election. I have said that all along, people. And Comey confirmed there is no evidence to suggest collusion by me. He even admitted, finally, that I was not under personal investigation. He told me privately. He wouldn't say it publicly. And that made me very, very angry. That is the real reason I fired him. Out of anger. Anger that I was not being exonerated in public view, even though Comey knew I was not under investigation. Also, I did not obstruct any investigation. Comey admits I never tried to obstruct the Russia investigation. He admits I said he should check out my associates on Russia. As far as my comments on General Flynn, it was just because I like General Flynn. It wasn't because I was trying to cover anything up. There were hot state, uh, hot-headed statements about what I hoped would have, I said, I hope is hope in order. I know how to give an order. I'm Donald freaking Trump. We have no evidence that Flynn even did anything, right? Flynn lied about talking to the Russians. Is that a crime? Is that a, maybe, but it's not a big enough crime for me to care about. That's why I said something to James Comey. Why is this even a big deal? Comey knows I didn't obstruct the Flynn investigation. He didn't even quit. He didn't even report it. Look, I should have had patience. I should have had patience with the process. But I'm not a patient guy. I want to get stuff done. The cloud hanging over my administration, thanks to the Democrats, is crippling my ability to get something done. Don't call it obstruction. It isn't. That's nasty. There's no underlying crime. I didn't obstruct when there's no crime. So let's get back to work. I'll stop being impatient and you guys stop saying stupid stuff. Right? That's what Trump should say. That's what Trump should say. And if Trump actually said that, then he might be able to make a good defense. What he should not do is get into a credibility fight with James Comey. He should not get into the business of trying to say that James Comey is lying about him and that James Comey is not telling the truth about what he said about Flynn. The reason being, Comey just testified before Congress under oath 
under penalty of perjury. Who is more credible? Now, I know there are a lot of Trump fans saying he's more credible than Comey. Okay, but Comey is a lawyer. Comey knows that he doesn't want to get caught up in a perjury charge. And he knows that right now the entire Trump administration would be happy to charge him with perjury. So the idea that he's going to go out there and outright lie is just silly. Like, Comey's not stupid. Okay, he may not be your, your cup of tea, but he's not a stupid man. And if Trump wants to pit his perception of honesty against Comey's perception of honesty, that's not a battle Trump can win. What Trump should have done is play a little bit of jujitsu here. Trump should have said, what Trump should have said is everything Comey said is true as to content, but not as to meaning. Right? That's what he should have said. You know, I'm an impatient guy. I met with him because I was upset about the Flynn stuff. I didn't mean he should quash the investigation. Look, did I even have a follow-up? Did I even try to quash the Flynn investigation? Hard to accuse me of obstruction when I didn't do anything other than saying to him that I hoped he would see his way clear to, to letting Flynn go. Maybe it was sort of a ham-handed thing for me to say, but obstruction? Really? And again, even Comey confirmed that there's this Trump-Russia stuff is a big nothing burger. right? That, that's what Trump should be doing, unfortunately, that's not what Trump is doing. So Trump came out on Twitter today and Trump immediately decided to attack Comey's credibility, which is just not smart because, again, he's relying on Comey's credibility in order for him to get out of the Trump-Russia stuff. Right? He wants to say that Comey is credible when he says that Trump was not under investigation and that there's no evidence of collusion, but he wants to say he's not credible when it comes to what Trump said to Comey in the privacy of the Oval Office or at Trump Tower. So Trump tweets, quote, James Comey better hope there are no tapes of our conversations before it starts leaking to the press. That's what he originally tweeted that got him in trouble. Now here's what he tweeted, quote, despite so many false statements and lies, total and complete vindication, and wow, Comey is a leaker. Okay, on this leaker thing, quick note, people who are trying to say that Comey should be prosecuted for leaking, his notes were not government documents. Okay, if, he, if I have a personal diary that I am taking, and it's not classified, and this apparently was not classified material, and Trump did not exert, assert executive privilege, from a legal, from a lawyer's perspective, this is not prosecutable. Okay, what Comey did, you may not like the leak, you may think it makes him a politically motivated actor, I certainly do, but I think that to say that, that he's a leaker and therefore he did something illegal, he didn't actually do anything illegal any more than Trump did something illegal by talking to the Russians about Israeli intel. He has the capacity to do it. It may be bad, but it's not necessarily illegal. Again, this is just bad strategy. I'm not saying that Trump, again, did anything deeply wrong here. In fact, I'm trying to figure out a good way to defend Trump. But this is not the smartest way to do this. You know, in conclusion with that, he sends out Mark Kasowitz, his lawyer, to make the case that Trump was, that, that Comey is lying about Trump. This is not a smart tactic. It's, again, Trump fighting back. And he's fighting back aggressively rather than in intelligent fashion. Here's Mark Kasowitz, his lawyer, saying that Comey's the liar, not Trump. The president never suggested that Mr. Comey, quote, let Flynn go, close quote. Okay, so him saying that is really not smart because, again, unless he has tapes to prove that, and he said he has, and now the White House won't say whether there are tapes or whether there aren't tapes, the tapes will be subpoenaed. Trump, unless he goes under oath, is going to lose this particular credibility battle. The best move would be to do what I just said. Admit basically that everything that Comey said is true and then say Comey is misconstruing everything because Comey's a politically motivated actor. I'm a hothead. I say things out of, out of turn, but that's not what I meant. There's no obstruction here. There's no underlying crime. That's what Trump should be saying. Instead, he's not. And that's leading Democrats to be put in a position where they can actually do him some damage. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But for that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com. Go and subscribe at dailywire.com right now. $8 a month gets you 
access to the rest of the show live. You can be part of the mailbag, which we are now doing on Fridays because, hey, we're five days a week now, which is super exciting. Uh, plus, if you want the annual subscription at Daily Wire, then if you spend, if you get that annual subscription, you get a free signed copy of this very book, the one that I hold here in my hand. Say it so. It's a book by me and my dad. There we are. Yes. Um, my dad's my best friend. We're actually going to have him on next week to talk about the book, actually, which will be a lot of fun because my dad's awesome. My dad is the really nice version of, of me, uh, which is to say, and I mean, really, really nice because I'm not super nice. My dad is like the nicest person anyone knows. We're going to have him on next week to talk about the book Say It. So you get a free signed copy when you go over to dailywire.com right now and get an annual subscription. Or if you just want to listen later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud. Leave us a review. We always appreciate it. Make sure that it's five stars because otherwise we won't appreciate it. So go over to iTunes or SoundCloud right now and do that. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, now, as I say, because the Trump-Russia stuff has fallen apart, Democrats have to pivot to Trump is a liar and he obstructed justice. They're going to say that the cover-up is the problem. And what exactly is he covering up? We don't know. We don't know. But we know that he tried to put pressure on Comey to get rid of the Flynn investigation and then presumably fired Comey because of the Flynn stuff, right? That's the case that they are now going to make. And Trump is playing right into that when he, when he tries to argue directly with a guy who just testified under oath. Democratic senators are now saying this. Here is uh, Chris Murphy from Connecticut making the case that we're going to now consider impeachment of Trump over obstruction. I think there are going to be some um, real soul searching uh, about the conditions for impeachment. Uh, this alone uh, may not bring that conversation to a head, uh, but I think we have enough now to know that the president was absolutely trying to stop the FBI from getting to the truth on the Russia uh, okay, so story. So again, this is going to be the case they make. Nancy Pelosi, those those dentures are moving. She made the exact same case yesterday. She said that Trump is is obviously showing contempt for justice. This is their new angle. Their entire Hillary defending angle was debunked, but because Trump couldn't control himself, this is why you get yourself into trouble when you don't show self-control. Now Nancy Pelosi is making this case as well. Comey's resolute testimony detailing the frightening reality of President Trump's pattern of contempt for justice, his pattern of concerted and inexcusable efforts to shut down the FBI's investigation of his cronies' ties to Russia and all of that, I think, disgraces the office of president. Okay, this is the case they're going to make going into 2018. And people on the right who are saying, well, they're going to have to do more than actually just say that they hate Trump. No, they're not. No, they're not. I'm sorry, they're not. That's just, that's, that's factually inaccurate. All Republicans did in 2010 was talking about how sucky Obama was, and they blew him out. In 2014, they did the same thing. They blew him out. In 2006, the Democrats said how sucky Bush was. They blew him out. In 1994, the Republicans had said how sucky Clinton was, and they blew him out. Okay, all you have to do, if you're the opposition party, is talk about how Trump is awful, awful. Don't give him the power to do awful things. And then you have a good shot at winning. And this brings us to the British election. So, the, the Brits had their big election yesterday, and Theresa May had called a snap election. So for people who are not familiar with the way that the parliamentary system works in Great Britain, basically, there's a bunch of parties. It's not just a two-party system, although this is starting to look more and more like a two-party system. Uh, it, it, parties run, there are four or five different parties running all over Britain, and the prime minister can call a snap election. The prime minister has the power to dissolve parliament and call for a snap election. So after Brexit... Theresa May takes over, and it looks like the Labour Party, which is sort of the, the far-left version of the Democratic Party, they're, yes, farther left than America's Democratic Party, uh, they, they 
are in disarray. Their leader is a guy named Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn is a full-on loon. He's a Noam Chomsky-esque loon bag. He's the kind of guy who tweets stuff like this. Here's Jeremy Corbyn's tweet. Uh, this is just a couple of years ago, sounding exactly like Michael Moore. Thanks, Hugo Chavez, for showing that the poor matter and wealth can be shared. He made massive contributions to Venezuela and helped the poor across the world. Okay, again, Jeremy Corbyn is a nut job. This is a guy who has held events alongside Holocaust deniers. He's somebody who has stood up in favor of Iranian terrorism. He stands with Hamas. He stands with Hezbollah. He was the head of the Labor Party. So what May figured is, okay, we just won Brexit. I took over. Cameron's gone. So now let's solidify my stranglehold on the electorate because the Democrats of Britain, the Labor Party, they're in chaos. So she calls a snap election. She dissolves parliament. She calls a snap election. And in the snap election, Corbyn gains a crap load of seats and she does not actually have an outright majority. She has to now side with this very small party, uh, the, uh, the, I think it's the Unionist Party, the Scottish Unionist Party, in order, to, um, in order to maintain a majority in parliament and retain her prime ministership. So people are calling for her to step down and be replaced. They're saying maybe Boris Johnson should be prime minister. Really bad mistake. So what exactly happened here? What exactly happened here? Well, a couple things happened here. As I said at the top of the show, I think one thing that's happening across France, Germany, Britain, the United States, young people are en masse embracing far leftism. And they are embracing far leftism not because it is right, but because it is opposed to the prevailing system that exists now. Young people like change. And young people have not been given a mission in life as far as defining meaning. People find meaning when you're young in changing the world, making the world a better place. This is something that young people are very into. I mean, I know because I'm still relatively young and I still believe in changing the world. But you have to give people the the tools to fight and the mission to fight for. And people across the West have not done this. They basically said, well, you know, the system's pretty good. You know, why aren't you satisfied? That's not good enough. People want to be part of a great mission to save the world, and young people are buying into that in extraordinary numbers in a Marxist way. So that's one thing that's going on. Uh, another thing that's going on is, like it or not, there is a European reaction to President Trump that is not uh, that, that is not negligible. Uh, it obviously happened in France. There's a reason that Emmanuel Macron was treating Trump with such disdain at the G7. It's because he knows that's popular. There's a reason that Angela Merkel is treating Trump with such disdain back in Germany. It's for domestic consumption. Theresa May was in a weird position because she's allied with Trump. And then Trump, a week before the election, started tweeting out silly things about the London mayor. Did that drive May into the gutter? No. I mean, London was not going to go for May anyway, but it certainly didn't help this would be the second election that Trump has, at least in, in, in part, impacted by being a loudmouth. He, he got a leftist elected in South Korea instead of the conservative in South Korea because he had blabbed about how he wanted the South Koreans to pay for an anti-missile system, a missile defense system. And the South Korean left said, well, we don't even want that here. And Trump's a schmuck. And so by doing that, they basically got themselves elected. Again, it just shows you that hot-headed speaking out of turn is not helpful. Now, is the British election largely about Trump? No, that's a, that's a peripheral, peripheral issue. But I think it's an issue worth pointing out. There, are, there is a tendency to look at Britain as a sort of forebear of what happens in the, in the United States. And there's some reason for that. So, for example, if you look at 1978, Margaret Thatcher is elected. Two years later, Ronald Reagan comes to power in the United States. In fact, British elections and United States elections, I did a paper on this when I was in college, they actually track pretty closely in terms of a conservative takes power in Britain, a conservative power takes power in the United States. A leftist takes power in Britain, a leftist takes power in the United States. Uh, that seems to have diverged a little bit during the Obama era when the Tories were on the rise as Obama was president. But 
people were saying Brexit forecast Trump. Okay, if Brexit forecast Trump, then what does the rise of Jeremy Corbyn in Britain forecast for 2018? And the answer is nothing particularly good. Again, Jeremy Corbyn just campaigned against Theresa May being a, an establishment tool, and he said that she was an emissary of the status quo. You know Democrats are going to do the same thing, and they're going to run hard to the left. Okay, time for a quick thing I like and thing I hate, and then we'll do some mailbag. So, uh, so things I uh, we'll do you know, we'll do some things I like in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Helix Sleep. So night after night, you're lying in bed with your spouse, but the the bed is only comfortable for one of you. Helix fixes that because Helix Sleep. You go onto their site over at helixsleep.com/ben, and you can both pick how you like your mattress. Do you like it hard? Do you like it soft? Do you like it? to be breathing? Do you like it to absorb heat? Uh, all, all these, do you sleep on your side? Do you sleep on your back? They have proprietary algorithms that help you pick the most comfortable mattress, and you can have a mattress that actually has different settings for both sides. And then they send the mattress to you in the mail. You unpack, it's really cool. My wife and I have a Helix mattress we love. They send it to you in the mail, you unpack the box, and it inflates right in front of you because it's a foam mattress. It arrives at your door in about a week. Shipping is 100% free. And Helix customers report a 30% improvement in sleep quality. I report a sleep improvement, an improvement in my sleep quality. And you have 100 nights to try it out. So if you don't like it, then they'll pick it up for free and give you a 100% refund. No questions asked. So it's risk-free. Go over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Get $50 off your order right now. It's also much cheaper than comparable mattresses anywhere else. Helixsleep.com slash Ben. Get $50 off your order right now. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Again, it's a fantastic mattress. And use that slash Ben so you get the $50 discount. Plus, they'll know that we sent you. Okay, so time for some things I like and some things I hate. So things I like today. Uh, I want to talk about Murder on the Orient Express. So there's a movie that's coming out, Murder on the Orient Express. There's an old movie that was actually really good. It had a big cast and Sean Connery was in it. I'm trying to remember all the other people who are in it. Big cast in the original Murder on the Orient Express. But the book itself is really good. If you've never read an Agatha Christie book, they're not only fun and interesting and well thought out, uh, they're, they're really clever. And, and I, I, I have like the entire set of Agatha Christie novels. My dad grew up on them, and then he transmitted those over to me. They, they are absolute classics. The Murder of Roger Ackroyd is considered one of the great mystery novels in the English language. Um, the, uh, the, the, his final, his, uh, her final novel, Curtain, uh, about Hercule Poirot. Her best ones are about Hercule Poirot. So Hercule Poirot is a Belgian detective uh, who's kind of quirky and brilliant and figures things out using what he calls his little gray cells. The book Murder on the Orient Express is a really, really good book. So you should go uh, and check that out right now. It has a very clever ending. If you haven't been given away the ending, then it's really a lot of fun. Um, if you don't want to be spoiled, watch the movie, and then you'll be surprised by the ending. But she's famous for having these sort of surprise endings. Uh, again, she's written a ton. Uh, she, she wrote probably 30 Poirot novels, and they're all very, very clever. They're just they're wonderful. Uh, they, a lot of them have been remade into movies. There was one they did with John Cusack. Again, these books were written like 50 years ago, and people are still doing uh, versions of them. She did Death on the Nile, she did the ABC Murders, and then there were none. Uh, the Mysterious Affair at Styles was her first one, which is really clever. Uh, again, they're all really fun, great mystery novels. Go check them out. Okay, other things that I like. So I've mentioned the show Black Mirror before, and I think that what you're seeing in the UK and in the United States and in France is what they call the Waldo effect. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an episode of the show Black Mirror about this animated character named Waldo. And Waldo is a 
is a cartoon character who is being voiced by this angry comedian. And suddenly they say, well, you should you should have Waldo run for prime minister. So number one, I think it's important to point out pretty much anyone can run for prime minister in Great Britain, including weird characters. Right. You can put anyone on the ballot. So that's why you actually saw this picture of British candidates yesterday. Uh, that was coming out. When they read the election results, they actually get all of the candidates together. That fellow in the center with the giant head, it calls himself Lord Buckethead. Lord Buckethead. <laughs> and and I, I love how the British do their elections. So the Waldo effect plays off of this. And this is a scene from the Waldo effect where you see why the Waldo animated character is so popular and why he's doing well with the crowd. It's easy what he does. Now he mocks. And when he can't think of an authentic joke, which is actually quite often, he just swears. I think that this puppet's inclusion on this panel debases the process of debate and smothers any meaningful discussion of the issues. So I return to my original question. Is that really what this is for? He has nothing to offer and he has nothing to say. Prove me wrong. Hmm? Speak, Waldo. Please. Come on, speak up. Yeah, you see, nothing. Oh, go f yourself. <laughs> oh, it's more swearing. You're a joke. You look less human than I do, and I'm a made-up bear with a turquoise. <laughs> what are you? You're just an old attitude with new hair. Assuming you're my superior because I'm not taking you seriously. No one takes you seriously. That's why no one votes. The vast majority do vote. It's bullshit. Surely this is enough. You think you deserve respect? Well, just common courtesy. Because you went to public school and grew up believing you're entitled to everything. Perhaps we could get common back. nonsense. Uh, Gwendolyn Harris, uh, we... Something's got to change. No one trusts you lot because they know you don't give about anything outside your bubble. What about your mate Gladwell, the kiddie flasher? You knew him for 20 years. Did you not know what he was like? No, of course not. Yeah, because you're all just front like him, sly and pretending, and in that way you're all the same. Gwendolyn Harris, um... Okay, okay so th th this is the point. This is what's happened in politics, and I think that th this, it's a brilliant show. The Waldo Effect is a great episode because it shows you that just being against things and shouting about the status quo can get you a long way, and that's what's happening in a lot of Western countries right now. No actual agenda. I think that's what happened in this last election cycle. Neither candidate had an actual agenda. There was just a lot of anger on both sides. Mostly, there was anger on the right, and I think that it manifested uh, in Trump being elected, and you're seeing it now reacting on the left. Okay, so I'm going to skip things I hate today. Wow, for the second time ever. And we're going to go direct to the mailbag. So... On to the mailbag. Arley writes, Hey Ben, after much study, I now believe that Judaism is the truth. My family members are devout Christians. I'm afraid to tell them. What would you do in this scenario? Also, please run for president. Okay, as far as the running for president, as I've said before, I think that you have to be the child of a president uh, or an insanely wealthy real estate mogul to run. But uh, as far as uh, how to tell your family, I mean, I would just talk with them openly and honestly about why you believe what you believe is the truth. Um, again, if you're Christian, I wouldn't expect you to take it lightly that somebody in your family is converting to Judaism, if that's something that you're actually considering. Um, but I do think that you owe your family an explanation as to why you're doing what you're doing, and they'll take it how they will. Uh, I mean, I really don't have any better advice than if your family, um, you know, if your family is upset, they have every reason to be, uh, because when a family spends an awful lot of time talking about religion to their kids, and then their kids decide to buck that religion, uh, it is to a certain extent, a slap in the face, and there's no way around that. So you just have to be honest with yourself about what exactly is going on. Jonathan says, 
Hey, my girlfriend is ready to complete college. I'm 13 years her elder, and while everything between us is outstanding, she's worried about the impact it may have on her future. Like an employer may look at it as a character defect to be with an older man. Do you see any issues religiously or morally about age differences with couples, and do you think it's anything she should worry about professionally? I I don't really see how it's a professional issue. As far as morally, uh, I think that it generally behooves people, there are exceptions to this rule, I think it generally behooves people to date people around their own age, uh, just because generational differences manifest in attitudes, they very often manifest in values. That's not always. As I say, there are exceptions to the rule, but you know, my parents were born uh, within a month of each other. My wife and I are separated by about three and a half years. Typically, it depends also on the age you start dating. So if it's somebody who's 30 dating somebody who's 40, I don't think that's quite the same thing as somebody who's 30 dating somebody who's 20, because the differences in age manifest more largely when people are younger. And when a 50-year-old guy is dating a 20-year-old, the typical explanation is usually the obvious and correct one, which is that he's dating her because she's young and hot, not necessarily because they have all that much in common. Um, so I don't know how old you are. I don't know how old your, your girlfriend is. And I don't know where your values are. It's possible that you have exactly the same values. It's possible she's really mature for her age. And it's possible you're not that mature for your age. All of those things are possible. So I don't know you as a couple. But I do think as a general rule... If you're asking prospectively about dating, if people are prospectively dating, I think people should try to restrain their dating pool to smaller than I would say, as, as a general rule, I would say smaller than five years. I think that, that once you get outside five years, there are couples that can definitely work outside that context. Again, I'm not saying this is a hard and fast rule, but I'm saying as a general rule, if you're going to make a rule, particularly if you're a girl, then you should probably make a rule that is a, a woman, you should make a rule that, that five years is the outside limit because... Again, they're just imbalances in, in terms of understanding the universe that, that accrue with, with age. Okay, John says, Mr. Shapiro, greetings from Baghdad. Your podcasts make the deployment go by a little faster. Well, thank you so much for your service, first of all. Talking to some of the younger guys out here, it's become apparent to me that millennials know nothing about investing. What investment advice would you give your younger listeners? Aggressive, conservative, or somewhere in between? Well, if you're young, I always suggest aggressive. Now, aggressive doesn't mean risky. Okay, aggressive means, like for me, I put an enormous amount of my money into the stock market. I have some precious metals, right? I invest with Birch Gold because that's a hedge against inflation and against volatility. But the idea is that if you invest in real estate or if you invest in the stock market, the stock market is a great place to invest because the bottom line is that as long as America continues to grow demographically and continues to consume and create, then over time the stock market will be a winner for you. But you have to not get jumpy. Everybody wants to get rich overnight. You get rich slowly, but you get poor quickly. Is one of my kind of financial sayings. You generally get rich slowly, but poor quickly. Take whatever earnings you're making and dump them into investment. Don't leave them in the bank. Leaving them in the bank is a waste of money and a waste of time. Put them into stocks, put them into real estate, put them in investments, and then just be patient. Okay, you don't have to flip. It's not like you have to flip a house and get rich immediately. If you're 20 now and you want to retire by the time you're 40, that gives you, that gives you 20 years to invest. It gives you 20 years to accrue wealth. Okay, don't think that you have to make it all in six months. The number of people who have made money overnight is astonishingly low in the United States. Usually it is you know, based on a gradual growth of income and a strong investment strategy that accrues over time. And don't get jumpy. If the stock market drops, very often that's an opportunity to buy more stock, not a, not a signal that you should dump all your stock. People who sold all their stock in 2008 lost a crap load of money. People who held on to their stock and doubled down, like Warren Buffett, made a crap load of money as the stock market rose again. Evan says, hi, Ben. When will we ever get to see that shredded body you talk about so much? Well, you're not married to me. So the answer is, as far as I'm aware, never. 
I mean, I could, I could train my biceps and such, but you know, the rest of me, this is all of this right here. This is reserved for the wife. I mean, she's a lucky woman. I'm a lucky man because she's super hot also, but I mean, come on, Evan. Also, why would you, why would you want to see that? I mean, come on, dude. Anthony says, do you believe that one's intellectual capacity is predetermined at birth? Thanks, Anthony. Uh, well, I think that I, listen, I believe in, in IQ. I believe that genetics determine to a certain extent how smart you are, but IQ is malleable. It's not endlessly malleable. If you're born with a 100 IQ, you're not going to be a 150 IQ with hard work. But I also don't think that intellectual ability is necessarily tied to success. So I think hard work combined with intellectual ability equals success. But I know a lot of people, you know, when I I went to middle school, I went to a magnet school. To be in that magnet school, you had to have what they call the genius level IQ. You had to have above a certain level IQ. I had an IQ test. I passed in. But I was at the lower end of that spectrum in terms of genius level IQ. So there are people in my class who had like 180 IQs. People had there's a, uh, several people who had 170 plus IQs. A lot of them today are in jail, really, because there's a tendency where if you're given a lot, you get lazy. And th- then the fact is that hard work uh, will get you ahead. Uh, I'm, thank God, financially more successful than the vast majority of people I went to school with, even if they had higher IQs than I did, because my father always told me, when you walk into a room, the chances are you're not going to be the smartest person in it, but you can be the hardest working person in the room. Alex says, how does the charitable nature of Americans coexist with the self-interested nature that drives the free market? Well, that's why religion is important because self-interest is embedded in every human being. Human beings want to help each other out too, but I don't think to the same extent as self-interest, obviously. That's why religion is important. And that's why you see that religious people give far more charity. It's why people who are community oriented in a religious setting, it's why red states give far more charity than blue states. Uh, you, you have to be taught to be a good person. You don't have to be taught to be self-interested. Josh says, Dear Ben, as a religious individual, I can see the justification for not altering one's body. As an individual who believes in science as well, I see the benefits of technology through the medical field. How does an individual decide what's okay to do to one's body that is a technological benefit versus religious taboo? So, Josh, the basic rule in Judaism, and I think it's a basically good ethical rule, is that if you are having a surgery for health reasons, if you are doing something to make your body healthier, then surgery is, is fine and scientific use of medicine is fine. If you are doing it because you think that you can do a better creative job with your body than God did, if you're doing it because you think that uh, it's not to better your life in any material way, uh, it's, it's just because it's out of vanity or it's out of, uh, then, then I think that it's questionable. Now, I'm somebody who believes that in a free country, none of this should be regulated, obviously. I'm just talking about from a moral standpoint Religion, religious people tend to believe that your body is not your own. Your body is a gift that was given to you from God and that you return to him at the end um, when dust returns to dust. But that said, um, you know, you, the improvement and health of your body is obviously in your, in your care, which is why I always suggest exercise. Alex says, what are your top three favorite bands of all time? So Alex, um, as you know, I am a classical music aficionado. Uh, and if I were going to go bands, I assume you mean rock bands, not jazz bands. So um, you know, I'll leave out all the, the jazz picks. Um, but top three favorite bands of all time. Uh, well, Doobie Brothers, I really like. Um, I don't know if you can call Jim Croce a band, right? I mean, he's, a one, he's one guy. Um, let's see. Who else, who else is really good? Um, Steely Dan is pretty good. Um, and um, you see, I struggle to come up with these answers. It's because I'm not a rock music aficionado. Uh, if I were on Jeopardy, this would be the area where I would fail. Uh, and let me get back to you. Let me get back to you with, with the third, because I'm, I'm having a little bit of, of a hard time with, with that. Okay. Sam says, Hey Ben, final question. 
I'm a Jewish college student that is heavily involved with my campus's student government. How can I be a better advocate for the Jewish state of Israel? How would you recommend arguing against the BDS movement that is growing across the American university system? So Sam, go to YouTube. I did a 60 second, probably maybe 90 second breakdown of the BDS issue when I went and argued at UCLA against BDS. It was pretty successful. We actually shifted a vote and ended up stopping BDS at UCLA because of that speech. The basic argument is this. BDS is a way of singling out the Jewish state for activity that a myriad of states engage in while ignoring the evils of the Palestinians, ignoring the evils of the repressive regimes all around the world. The reason that you're singling out out Israel is because you are an anti-Semite. The reason that Israel is being singled out as opposed to all of these other... You're not talking about BDS from Iran. You're not talking about BDS from Yemen. You're not talking about BDS from Saudi Arabia. You're not talking about BDS from Egypt. You're not talking about BDS from UAE or Qatar. You're talking about BDS from Israel, the most humane nation in the Middle East with actual human rights, and also the idea that quote-unquote settlements are bad. There is nothing legally that says that Jews cannot live in these areas, and it is astonishing that you are willing to uphold apartheid from the Arab side by saying that Jews must be forced to run away from these areas because Jews can't be allowed to live on land that you say Arabs should be allowed to live on. Okay, Arabs are allowed, Muslims are allowed to live inside Israel. There are no Jews living inside the Palestinian Authority. Okay, well, we finally reached the end of the week. We'll be back on Monday with much more, and we should be in our brand new Magical Studios. This is why you should go to Daily Wire to subscribe so you can see the magic happen in real time. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.